It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. And a warm welcome to season 10, where we're exploring histories and mysteries of the British landscape. We'll be walking in ancient lands, unearthing forgotten legends, and even telling a few tales of the supernatural. And as ever, we'll be enjoying encounters with wildlife, whatever we find along the way. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the host of the podcast. And welcome to episode seven, where we're heading to the remote and holy island of Iona in the Inner Hebrides. We're in the company of podcast regular, poet Kenneth Stephen, who is on a gentle mission to explore the island and reveal something of its place in Scotland's history and in the heart of that nation. And he's also in search of the elusive and now very rare bird known as the corncrake. Later, join me and the podcast team to discuss the podcast postbag and our own adventures in the countryside. For now, place yourself under Kenneth's spell on the enchanted isle of Iona. I wanted to stop at this particular point of Iona and there I hear the ferry that I've just arrived on departing again for Mull. I wanted to stop in this particular point because it's the only wooded bit of Iona. It's in the village or above the village and I'm looking up north towards Iona Abbey. I'm on the east side of the island. This is ostensibly the busy part of it. I'm just beside the school garden and the only place where there are large grown trees where it feels like somewhere on the mainland and I was just conscious of the loveliness of the bird song this morning and wanted to capture it and yesterday when I was here looking at an unploughed field on the other side from me yesterday when I was here there were four swallows. Now I see two of them. There were four swallows chasing and chasing over the ripening stalks in the field. 
beside the Heritage Centre, finding insects in their wonderful ballet dance, in their configuration of flight, so beautiful, low to the stems. And I had to stop, mesmerised, just to watch the loveliness of that flight and celebrate it. Sadly, I can't capture it with sound. And this is one of the sounds that I hoped to hear when coming to Iona. And of course, I never work with children and animals. It is often said by those working with nature recording. As soon as I had the recorder on, the corncrake became shy, but has returned. That, the sound of the Hebridean corncrake, now a great rarity in the West. The staggering thing is, for me to think, that when my father was growing up in Helensborough, which was a big town then, half an hour from Glasgow, he and his brothers used to throw stones in the evening at the corncrakes in the fields beside their house. Because that cry, which is so unusual now, was exceedingly irritating. And I myself confess to having done it. When I stayed and worked on Iona many years ago as a youngster, I also had a corncrake, so to speak, in the field beside where I worked. And, well, I'm not sure that I threw stones down, but I certainly... There it is, just let it be heard for a minute. I once heard it described by a Dutchman as akin to a credit card being scraped over a stone. And I think that's a wonderful description of the most unmellifluous sound of the corncrake. But nevertheless, it's wonderful that it's still heard here on Iona. And it has to be said on many of the... There's a special effort being made on the neighbouring island of Col, where uh, there's special protection given to the corncrake. And I'm just thrilled to have been able to to hear it again today. That's the sound in front of me of the waves on Columbus Bay. And I've come now, having spent a bit of time recording a corncrake, to my great joy, I've come down to the very south end of Iona, southeastern point to St. Columbus Bay. And I'm sitting crouched in the rocks in what is really the middle of June on an overcast but quite warm day. And to give a sense of what I'm looking out on from this south end of Iona, as I say, it's rather overcast, but I can still see a little bit of the tail end of the island of Mull, um, just to my east. Beyond that, from here, my view from here, I can see the island of Colonsay. And behind that, the next 
layer of mountain, very shrouded in mist, is, will be Isla Andura. And if I work my way around to the direct south, I can see various islets that Columba and his 12 followers would have fought their way through, made their way through, on whatever kind of day it was that they landed here on this southern tip of Iona. And legend has it that Columba stopped here, came here, because he was determined to reach a landfall where he could no longer see Ireland. Ireland, rather. The place that he had left. Uh, and I always smile to myself at that, because I realised that it must have been a fairly grim day when they came to Iona, because you can actually see Malin Head confidently on a very clear day. So it shows, really it gives a sense um, of how little sea there is between these southern islands in Scotland and Northern Ireland today. And of course they, in those days, this was 563 AD when Columba landed with his men, they had no sense of differentiating between Ireland and Scotland. So I've come down here today to be back on Columbus Bay and it's a place that resonates with me uh, really from I was here as a child of five I've been here on more times than I care to remember it's a very special very special beach and of course inevitably when you visit a place like this you think of all manner of people from your family other friends you have known before who have departed and it's it's quite strange to be here there are I feel many ghosts on this bay with me in a good sense and up on a crag above me because Columbus Bay is surrounded to give a picture of it I'm looking out the open side of it to these rugged islets a whole series of them um, in the southern seas beyond the bay. Behind me are the ramparts of great granite um, rocks. The beach stretches up a long way, a deep channel up into grassy moorlands that are called Macher in Gaelic. Why is Iona so special? There's a question that I decided I was going to face answering today. Why is it special? How do you describe a place and give an impression to those who haven't seen it of what makes it so special? It's very hard to say. It's very hard to define. It's a little bit, I think, this may sound like an excuse, but I think it's a little akin to being asked to describe a perfect taste or scent. How do you compare it with something else? How do you give an impression of it? I suppose the first thing from, that I want to say is that it's, in many ways, Iona feels very much unchanged. That's what I love about it. Obviously the part, the east side of it, where the ferry lands and where the village is, and the village stretches far further than it used to, it's quite a busy island. That is changed by the 20th and 21st centuries and the ones that have preceded it. But when you go out into the western part of Iona, when you come down here to the south, you just feel that it's utterly, utterly ancient, that little has changed. I look at this beach and I think, how much of it would have been the same when Columba landed that day? Well, I'm sure there are small changes, but 
the landscape. And that's true of many places too. It's not only here, but the landscape, the seascape, is pretty much what it must have been. And coming up from here, as I say, to the south um, and into the west of Iona, it's gnarled granite hills, not all that high. Often you're chased by a westerly wind, the prevailing winds, and it's wild. Um, so it's gnarled, gnarled granite headlands, beautiful white beaches. This is a rocky shore, Columbus Bay, but many beautiful white sandy shores. Beautiful bays for children, translucent water, and birds, animals, life, wildlife. In the last 24 hours since I've come over here to this part of Scotland, I have seen a plethora of wildlife. Last night, I was listening to wonderful strings of larks all around me um, in the fields where I was staying. There were the corncrakes that I've, I've mentioned. I watched a hawk being mobbed by crows. I watched a buzzard being mobbed by crows. I have seen just a most incredible plethora of wildlife. And I say that as a cormorant passes to the south of me. I presume it's a cormorant low between those um, wonderful escarpments of rock. Before I leave this and come back then to Columbus Bay, I want to say a little bit about it and, and read something. The extraordinary thing is, out there somewhere, out beyond me to the south, there is a rock of, well, I primitively call it serpentine. I think that there is a better name for it. It's a soft, soft stone. Um, and pieces are broken off it all the time by these huge seas and many of them are smoothed into beautiful pebbles, beautiful stones that are washed up here, not just on St Columbus Bay, but along the little beaches, the remote coves at the south and the southeast side of Iona. And many people come to collect those stones. I have done since I came with my mother and father my father, as I say, he couldn't be bothered doing the collecting of the stones. He would be up on the rocks looking for birds, for rock pipits, for twites, for great northern divers, which there are around the coasts at this time. Um, usually in May we would be here and he would see them. But the green stones are on Columbus Bay or on the shore. And I would spend hours and still do sifting the pebbles for these wonderful, wonderful pieces of translucence. This is recently my, my selected poems, a volume of work called Iona, was, was published in the States and is available here. And this poem, Serpentine, is a little meditation on these green stones, these translucent stones that I so love and love looking for so much. A little cave of green stone, smoothed by centuries of sea, to a pebble small as a pinky nail, chanced up out of reach of the wave's reach. Hold it to light and it changes, becomes a globe of fractures, a cavern of ledges and glinting, not one green, but many at once. And suddenly I think of it bigger as the whole of the human heart, 
carrying the cuts of its journey, brokenness letting in light. sitting crouched on the main, I'm going to say the main road, which is the little track that crosses from the east side of Iona, where the village is, the landing bay if you like, and the village and the abbey and the nunnery. And that road crosses, that track crosses to the west side of Iona, from which one takes the turn to St Columba's Bay and all the wonders of the south. And I stop here today because I'm reminded of however many childhoods before when I would wait for the first sound of lark song when we landed. And I always fear somehow that it's going to be gone. There are dismal statistics too about skylarks their diminishing numbers and certainly where I live on the Isle of Seal they are heard no longer where once they would have been most certainly but today the fields in the middle of Iona are loud with the wonder of, of lark song just as it diminishes now The oldest of the island buildings, um, at least human-wise, at least in human terms, are up here at the abbey where I'm now standing. And I say that because some of the some of Iona's rocks are reckoned to be the oldest in the world. So those old buildings, in human terms. Are, are pretty incredibly recent, going back to, I don't know, 7th, 8th century, something like that. I am no expert on them. So I'm beside the abbey, I'm looking right towards it. I'm almost in its grounds, as it were. And I'm standing beside, right beside St. Oren's Chapel. Oren was one of Columba's disciples. And around the chapel, all around it, is a graveyard, a truly ancient graveyard and a truly important one. And a whole number of, it's, it's really important because a whole number of, of Scottish kings are buried here and a whole number of Norwegian ones too. They're not quite sure just how many. I think there's more of a dispute about it these days. Perhaps not as many as they once thought, but at least a great number. And that's that's really because, both in the case of Scotland and Norway, so many regal powers wanted to be buried on Iona after Columbus' life and fame had spread, had spread so far. They knew just how significant this place was in, in holy terms, is the best way perhaps of expressing it, and they wanted to be laid to rest um, on the holy soil of Iona. It couldn't become, it couldn't be more holy for them than that. 
I feel that the the chapel itself is is quite eerie to an extent. I used to have dreams. I think about that partly because I had dreams as a as a child about its about its existence and recurring nightmares, I suppose, in a place close to this. It's always held a kind of eerie, eerie fascination for me. Beautiful though its sight is. And I'm just at the just at the door of it now. And I can see straight to my east the peaks of Jura peeping in and out of the mist as a swallow darts round and around the graveyard on a doubtless on a wonderful hunt for for flies and for midges on this rather overcast day and somewhere in the background it probably will be inaudible to the machine here somewhere in the background I'm aware of a skylark and it's always one of the first things as a child that I recognised and loved. That was the joy of hearing the first skylark and to think of their journey to be here and the extraordinary power of that song and that life, the song coming from that tiny, tiny throat. No, you're fine. I'm now coming into the chapel, as you will be able to hear from the change in my, doubtless in the change in my voice. And I'm going to read a poem which I wrote many years ago. I have mentioned that, made clear that Iona became important too in Celtic Christian times and in the centuries thereafter because of the creation of the Book of Kells. And they reckon that there are three hands behind the Book of Kells. In other words, when I say three hands, I mean three individuals who were responsible for its creation. They don't know who those individuals were, of course. Um, only conjecture, imagination can say but I always had it in my mind that perhaps one of those hands belonged to a young boy, a young calligrapher brought over from Ireland to Iona to work on this, this great treasure, the book that was to become the greatest treasure of the Celtic Christian world. And this poem, The Illuminated Manuscript, was imagining that story still further. They brought me here from Ireland, still a boy, to begin their book. I remember the day I left, soft bread, a silvering of geese, the sound of my mother. Now I slip the stone of these steps every day, long before dawn, breathe the dark, and hear the whelming of the winds about this fastness, before my one candle like a petal of gorse, flutters the shadows and ghosts over the cold walls. Out of the thin window, I watch the sea all winter, 
heave and drag like a dying man, the skies blackened and bruised. Some days there is nothing in the pen except my own emptiness. I hold it hoping until the stars blow out from the attic of the skies and a ledge of moon lifts across the hills. Just sometimes, something breaks inside, like the brittle lid of a casket, and pours out light onto the waiting page. And as it happens, as I read the poem, I realized that I was looking out of a, a thin window, which I was imagining in the original abbey, but which is actually one of the windows, the only window, in fact, here in St. Oren's Chapel. And you will hear the reverberation of the, of the stonework, since that's what it is, walled with stone, floored with stone, and just as I said those words, in came a swallow, because I have known this from childhood. The door is always left open to the chapel for the swallows. And in fact, when I was a child, it's no longer the case now, when I was a child, a Bible was left open, a very large print, large-sized Bible was left up here at the altar beside a very rough, a rough-hewn cross and it was open at the passage from the New Testament about the swallows. And that swallow flew in to her nest. What wonderful timing and the fact that I had finished and turned to see. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Perfect ending to a perfect podcast lovely to have heard Kenneth roaming the island of Iona and all the adventures he had there. And I'm really pleased to say that Hannah and Jack joined me again for our podcast chat. Um, lovely to see you both in the virtual studio again. Hello. Hello. Oh, good. They are out. They are out there. <laughs> um, so that was, that was lovely. And always good to have Kenneth back on the podcast. I found it um, very soothing. His voice is so soothing. Um, how did how did you how did you find uh, Kenneth roaming Iona? So it's another classic. It felt like another one of the the, the classic. If you're going to say listen to Country Football podcast, it's one of those ones you can go and go listen to this. This is what this is what it's about. It just kind of had had a bit of everything. It's a jewel of a podcast. Small, beautiful, sparkling, everything you want it to be.
I, I really like the difference in sort of sounds. So he was walking along a beach and that crunching, crunching sound and the waves. And then he was in that chapel with the re- reverberating kind of echoey sound. And that seemed really appropriate when he was talking about the sort of spirituality of the island and obviously the Bible, but also his own poem, which I found really moving. What I loved, um, brilliant, that Kenneth was able to capture the sound of the corn crake, which... I mean, when you listen to it on there, it's gex, 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 like that. I, it's such a an odd sound. And he, there was, I was fascinated because it's really hard to find corncrakes these days. They used to be common across Britain. In fact, you might just hear the sound of my own local corncrake, which is next door's cockerel. Um, welcome to the podcast, cockerel. But yes, corncrake, once popular across Britain, has just vanished because of how we changes to how we farm the landscape. It survives really in Scotland and mostly on the islands. But what was fascinating was Kenneth saying, it used to be an, ir- it's an irritating sound. And yet today it's a delight to hear it because it's so rare. But, you know, talking about going out and throwing stones at them <laughs> to tr- make them shut up. It's, um, it's brilliant. I might go and throw a stone at next door's cockles. <laughs> <in a minute. laughs> so here we are. We've, we've got a bit of a uh, podcast post bag to get through. But before that, Obviously, we've heard from Iona. What about your locales? Have you guys been out and about or any adventures or any forthcoming adventures that you're happy to share with listeners? I went swimming in the sea for what I expect will be the last time this year. And it was just a glorious, perfect day. And I think everyone else in the village had that same feeling that, like, they needed to do it now. And so there were loads and loads of people that I knew. And it was so just... Like it was a lovely communal feeling of like enjoying the space together and saying like isn't this a wonderful aren't we privileged to have this beach here and it was just perfect oh lucky you that's that sounds wonderful and you you're for those who don't know um hannah's currently in gower so on, on gower oh sorry well i don't know actually maybe it's not no on the gower peninsula in gower mm, don't know yeah, I think it's in Gower. We'll keep this in. We'll keep this bit in. <laughs> uh, we'll keep this on. <laughs> we'll keep it on. <laughs> um, so lucky you, you've got all this beautiful coastline to, to swim in. Did you see any exciting wildlife or, or any histories and mysteries while you... No, just the local characters. Yeah. And they were going, oh, look, there's a mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, how about you? I ha- I'll be honest, I had my, my, my spring and summer, it was all about the birds around here. There was, there was quite a lot local local to me and I had obviously little Christopher, my uh, the little wren that kept flying into my garden. Have we got some up- updated bird bird news from your garden? Well, it's all sort of quietened down I think now. it's It seems the time's passed now for this year. It's all gone a bit quiet and I feel like it's now turned into hedgehog time. <laughs> I've, uh, I've had a few hedgehogs bobbing around uh, recently, which I keep having a look out for. I've put a little uh, tray of water out for them, ho- hopefully encourage them to keep coming here. If got, I've got an enclosed garden, but obviously we've made sure that they can get in and out. And I kind of feel in my head, I'm like, if I put like a little bit of water out, at least they feel like they can safely come in here and they're going to be all right if they need to. So I've gone from birds to hogs. Birds to hogs, yeah, yeah, was well, good, good, good thinking, good thinking. Most birds are still because there's so much food out in the countryside. Last in the last podcast, Hannah, you mentioned all the blackberries, and there's elderberries and hawberries and all sorts of things, nuts. So the birds' seeds on every little 
grass stem that's, that's survived the mower. Um, so yeah, tons and tons of things for them to eat. So why do they want to come into the garden and eat peanuts and and all the other sort of fat balls? You know, that really is kind of when they've run out of natural food, they go, all right, okay, better head back to the garden then, guys. So hedgehogs though, yeah, have you put out any actual food for them? No, well, I've been looking, there's, near me there's a um, hedgehog like rescue place. And so I've been having a look on their pages to, I want to make sure that it's the right side. I know you can, sometimes you're told stuff to put out and it's not necessarily the best for them. So uh, I've, I've kind of committed myself to sort of making sure before I put, do anything, I'm checking that it's the, the best thing for them and it's not actually going to make it make them worse than if I didn't do it at all. Yeah. Oh, good luck. Well, I, I, well, if you can record some sounds of your hex, yeah. your hedgehog's hogging in the garden <laughs> that'd be really lovely for a for a for a sound of the week or something like that i'll try and get it cool i've been swimming went swimming in the river in the river usk near me which was just so refreshing because it's been we've had a few of these really hot muggy days and um yeah i felt something of what hannah was expressing beautifully which is uh, freedom and oh lovely um and a kingfisher came and flew and sat opposite and there were i was with a you know, group of people so he was quite unconcerned. Um, we didn't take the cockerel along. No, we had a lovely time and just refreshing. Lovely to just drift in the flow of the river. More adventures to come. And we're only halfway through this podcast season, but it's probably time for the post bag. So I've got, well, it's sort of long distance listener of the week, um, which we haven't we haven't done that for a while. Um, it's Nicola, who is a Nicola Pitchford, who is quite a regular contributor. Uh, she lives in San Rafael in California. And she was saying how wonderful Andrew Griffith's walk up Kinder Scout in episode 10 of last season, which is all about nature and spring, summer nature. Uh, she says, thank you so much for the joy it brought me. The mixture of nature sounds and narration of natural observation and insight with dabs of cultural and economic history was just perfect. And Andrew's voice sounds to me like home. I spent a fair bit of my childhood around the Peak District and Macclesfield Forest. I've listened to it twice so far, drawing from it both comfort and inspiration. Just to know more and explore more. That's lovely, and we'll pass that on to Andrew. Andrew lives up on the edge of Manchester and often gets out into the Peak District and the Pennines for us, and he's got some more podcasts to come in this series. So listen up for Andrew. Thank you, Nicola. Lovely to hear from you. Keep sending in your thoughts and your sounds. Um, and you can find that episode on our list of podcasts. It's episode 10 of season nine. You can find all our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, all good podcast providers. And you can also find it on our website, countryfile.com forward slash podcast. And if you want to get in touch with us, before I hand over to Jack, email me, Fergus Collins, and my email address is editor at countryfile.com. So please send all, all thoughts, any sounds you record, send them over. We'd love to include them. Jack, over to you. Yes, I've, I've had another rummage again this week. Uh, and a, this a deep one, rummage? A deep a, rummage, it, was it? It is a deep rummage, because this one's come from last series, from Alison Ingram. She wrote, I'm looking forward to hearing your new podcast series and have some suggestions. And uh, so she's given us a few suggestions of places we could visit or interesting places she thinks would make a, a, a good episode. And these include a visit to Elan Valley in Mid Wales, which has 11 dams. And there's also a river that runs through the nearby Ryder. Or what about her home of Rutland, which is the smallest county? 
Uh, she says there's ospreys on Rutland Water, and there's also a sunken village in the reservoir. She enjoys horse riding around the villages, but doesn't really know much about the history, so would find it uh, interesting to find out more. Um, and she also finishes off saying she would love to hear more from north of London. Well, that's that's interesting. Well, I mean, we've just been to Iona and Sullivan in northern Scotland. But yes, um, Andrew Griffiths is one of our northern correspondents. As, as we sort of come out of lockdowns and have a bit more freedom to explore, we'll certainly be getting around and about. But yes, we will be north of London. Have you been to the Elan Valley, either of you, in Powys, Mid Wales? Uh, it's, it's kind of a really amazing part of the world, but there's all these sort of controversial reservoirs where all the rivers are dammed and then the water, I think, is sort of transported from Wales to serve English cities. And there's quite a lot of stories about that. It's probably too big to deal with today, but perhaps something for the... If we do visit the Elan Valley, and I'm sure we will do, there is more than more than one tale to tell. And I'd love to go to Rutland again. Apparently there were 12 nests of ospreys on Rutland Water, which is, again, a big, it's a huge reservoir, one of the biggest reservoirs in Britain. And uh, just a few years ago, there were no ospreys, but they encouraged them to come and nest. And I mean, there there were lots of them there, which is really exciting. Nice to have some good news stories. I saw that magical, well, so we've had a sparrowhawk around for a little while. Um, I saw it eating a dunnock in a tree. Uh, my mum came back from the allotment recently and she she said that she had seen a wing of some bird of prey on someone's allotment just sort of left forlornly. And so we thought it was the sparrowhawk. But yesterday I looked out into the garden and I saw that characteristic puff of white feathers just falling down like snow. So it's still alive, still out there, still terrorising the garden, but it's kind of wonderful. So is that puff of feathers from... Yeah, so it strikes the bird that it's coming to so quickly that the bird that it hits suddenly just goes poof and loses a whole bunch of feathers. And you never see it happen. Well, you can see it happening if you're very, very, very lucky, but you're more likely to see this sort of puff. Oh, wow. Knocks the feathers out as it grabs its prey. Yeah. That sounds a bit like a wizard, but rather than appearing in a puff of smoke, it's a puff of feathers. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, isn't the Wizard of Earthsea called Sparrowhawk? Just talking, making connections of apropos nothing. One of the great classic novels by Ursula Le Guin. Some listeners may know. Anyway, that's lovely. Really cool. Um, there is something about, um, you found a wing of a bird of prey, but in lean years, apparently, I'm not, had this confirmed but because the female sparrowhawk's much bigger than the male she occasionally when she's feeding nestlings he turns up she might grab him and feed him to the i mean it just sounds so kind of like a greek tragedy she'll grab her husband hubby hubby hawk and uh, and feed him to the for the to the youngsters or eat him uh, and so in some way his genes are passed on uh, and he helps nur- nourish the new generation. But apparently some 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 bird of prey experts I've spoken to have confirmed that they found the remains of the male beneath the nest at the end of the breeding season, which seems, I don't know, epically harsh way to deal with. Um, <laughs> sort of but brilliant maybe and awful at the same time. So clever and Honey, I'm terrible. home. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, on that happy note... <laughs> Maybe it's time to draw an end to this bloodthirsty 
podcast chat. So join us next week. But for now, thank you so much for listening. And it's goodbye from me and the podcast team.